You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Well, welcome everyone. This is Proof Text, and I'm with Dr. Michael T. W. Halcombe. <laughs> you T. got Michael it wrong. W. Halcombe. <laughs> T. T. Michael W. Halcombe. Too many, yeah. too many names and letters there, right? Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> jealous though. It, it does sound good, and I'm I'm uh, Dr. Frederick J. Long, and we're. Uh, co-hosting uh, this this podcast, Prove Text. We want to give priority to the evidence in the text, and we explore topics of theology and Bible and their relevance for today. And so really privileged to have uh, Michael uh, with me today. How are you doing, Michael? I'm all right. I'm excited about this. The previous episode, uh, Fred was putting his uh, Greek skills on display. So we'll see what happens here as we, we were going to look at the first three, or the three prayers of Ephesians, the three major prayers yeah. of Ephesians, but we only, we got stuck on that first one and yeah. it was a, it was a, it long was a longer, yeah, a longer than usual episode. So that's yeah. fine though. We'll see yeah, what. So, yeah. And so we're looking, yeah. So we're wondering, we're in chapter three. We're wondering, we don't know what's going to happen because this, this <laughs> prayer, prayer is even, I think more rich than the first prayer. I mean, there is a lot going on here. And um, so we're looking, we're talking about the prayers in Ephesians. Uh, we're talking about, we're going to be looking at today, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And this really ends the first half of Ephesians. There's a, most interpreters, every interpreter acknowledges that chapters one through three uh, provide like an opening salvo in a certain sense, kind of framed by praying uh, Paul blessing God in chapter one and praying and then ending in chapter three with with prayer. Um, and then chapter four, he moves to 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 more exhortations and commands how to live. Uh, so it may be that chapters one through three is just a little bit more theological or a little bit more, you know, describing what God has done in Christ and some of the dynamics of that. And then chapters four moves into body life and walking really walking and living and we could yeah we didn't really talk about the structure of ephesians but the verb walking peripateo uh, repeats five times at the beginning of different discrete movements in chapters four five and six and so there is definitely a focus on walking living and walking as a metaphor for living in the world so three chapter three here in this prayer is 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 that kind of a, a critical point because Paul is transitioning uh, and uh, out of this kind of foundational understanding of God and Christ and and praying he's praying a lot for people and then this is going to prepare for the admonitions that he gives in chapters four to the end so for one of uh, uh, 314 to 21 mm-hmm. Michael let me ask you a question before we start looking at this do you ever bow down when you're praying? Uh, rarely. Um, I, I find it so distracting and uncomfortable. I, yeah. I have a, a hard time focusing. Um, yeah, here's, I just was preaching, um, two Sundays ago. My, my part of the whole point of one of the, the bottom line sort of the sermon, I challenged everybody to get out and walk, like literally walk, um, and to use that as sort of a prayer time, right? Um, so I was making this point that the title of the sermon was God Space Speed, God Speed, that the average human walks at three to four miles an hour. And um, because God is a God who walks with us, God also worked at three to four miles, walks at three to four miles an hour. He's a, he's a three mile an hour God. And I was drawing on um, this uh, Kosuke Koyama, this, this uh, Asian pastor, theologian, who's uh, making this point. But here's, here's kind of where I'm going with this, um, was, was also saying, you know, uh, Mark Buchanan, another theologian, was, was helping me see this, that in, in other world religions, there's a, a physicality that's often connected, like an embodied physicality, but Christianity doesn't seem to have that, right? So uh, in Hinduism, you have yoga. It's a bodily manifestation of, of how they do things, how they 
worship or whatever. You have Tai Chi, you have, in all these world religions, you have these movements, these physical, physical inactions of, of what you do when you're praying or getting in touch with the divine, but Christianity doesn't seem to have that. Well, in fact, we do, but it just seems that it was lost. And yeah. perha perhaps, perhaps it's walking. So I find it curious, you're just talking about walking in Ephesians, but yeah. you know, Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden uh enoch who didn't die uh was was walking with god before he was taken and presumably walking with god afterward noah was uh walking with god and you look out throughout like christian history we pilgrimage used to be a, a major part of of our yeah. faith so yeah. perhaps walking is is our physical embodiment of of being in touch with the Lord, and so that's why I just get out, walk three miles an hour, and talk with God. Um, but I, I'm intrigued. Go ahead. What you no, say? That, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, to think of that. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued because you were just mentioning that that in chapter four we get it, it sort of sets off this domino effect of like walking, 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 and it's all about walking. I don't think that's just symbolic or figurative, right? Like, I think literally Paul is, is, is talking in some way about walking, although I think it's ethical and moral and that sort of thing too. But here in 314, he begins by saying, gonatamu, uh, I bend or bow my knees. And my question back to you, Fred, is, um, is, is it, is, could it be the case that physically bending and bowing the knee in prayer is the precursor to walking? Um, so yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, that, that's where my mind's at right now. So I find it difficult to, I, I can much more easily concentrate on the Lord when I'm sitting or lying or walking than I can when I'm on my knees. I just find it, but maybe I need to practice that more. Yeah, my my knees are they it hurts too for me to to bend my knee um, to to actually sit on my knees. Uh, yeah, yeah, that hurts unless I'm like crouched down. But then it's kind of like I'm sitting on my feet. You know, my knees are bent and I'm kind of sitting. I'm kind of hunched over like in a ball or something. I can stay in that position for a while. But if if I'm just like up on my knees, oh right. man, I, I I won't be able to do that. Um, I don't even know if that would be good for me. It it, it hurts, <laughs> it hurts so badly. So so yeah, I mean, I think this this posture of of bending the knee, I think it um I think it may be metaphorical mm. as submitting submitting he's submitting to the father uh he's bending the knee this is a, it's a it's a different kind of prayer posture i mean you have you have people getting prostrate uh on the the ground laying down um yeah. bowing uh but this this is very concrete and i i think it it is a a political act of submitting uh, of bending and, and bowing down and, and on the knee. So the bend the knee is is a discreet political act of, of homage. And it's it's giving homage to, to the father. And this uh, father in verse 15 is described as the one from whom every father land in heaven and on earth is named. And there's a really interesting play on words right here because the word for fatherland, I translate it as, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's translated as family, is patria. Mm -hmm. So God is the pater, God is the father from whom every patria is named. And so there's a play on words here that, that God is father, pater, gives meaning to every family, which is named on the same basis. It's a cognate in Greek. It's a cognate. But I think there's something else going on here uh, because one of the favorite titles, in fact, um, 
became one of the most prized titles. It was the, the favorite title of the Caesar Augustus in his autobiography, his memorial, his Ray Geste, uh, the listing of his accomplishments culminates. And this is on his, his monument, like he made this for himself. And it's basically in sequence. You can find this if you look online, the Ray Gestae of uh, Augustus, the great deeds of Augustus. But it's generally chronological except for one one moment and that he preserves to, to, to place it at the end as the chief climax of his achievements. And that is receiving the title Pater Patriae, uh, father of the fatherland. Hmm. And this is seen on the coins as PP on the coins around the outside. And this is a very important title for the emperors subsequent to Augustus. And I think that there's a I think there's a play uh, acknowledging that only that God is the one who even is the source of that high honor. Because notice that he says, from whom every patria on heaven and on mm -hmm. earth is named. So right. heavenly father, earthly father. And um, so, yeah, I think this is a, a political subversion. Um, I think it's an affirmation, again, fighting and struggling for um, a proper understanding of who God is and kind of relativizing earthly rule and earthly claims to political power that, you know, we're, we're asked to bow down to. And I think the message for us today, you know, is, is that we don't belong to earthly kingdoms primarily. Yeah. Uh, much is made of that, you know, or what is our primary allegiance though? It is not to any kingdom. It's to a heavenly realm a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly father and so paul is bending his knee to this father that is above all fathers and is named every other claim to family or fatherhood or family fatherland is derived from god the father so i have two questions for you that that flow from this the first one is uh, I, I, because i can see some people could possibly be uncomfortable with this was kneeling before one's father common during this time like you know we don't we don't think of a, a son or a daughter bowing to a father today like my yeah. kids don't bow to me or kneel yeah. before me so that's kind of an interesting image mm -hmm. at least for our context where it's sort of foreign so that's the the yeah. first question uh i was gonna ask you and then i forgot the second so let's just deal with that <laughs> that one <laughs> You know what? So when I was researching this, no, I did not. I did not find that. No, in mm -hmm. fact, I, I rather I was. Um, there's there may be allusion to like Daniel, bowing, praying to God, and and bending the knee, um, to to, because that was wasn't that the law that you're not supposed to bend to anyone except for the you know Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that's so, the, that was the second question. Let me throw it out there. Why, um, why not say I kneel before the king? Like, yeah, why why does he use father? Is he mixing metaphors or was this common to kneel before one's father? No, I don't think it was common to, to kneel before one's father. At least I, I haven't found record of that. So I think, I mean, I think that betrays that we're in a political realm at that point, right? We're, we're dealing with a political con conception. So, um, and, and then, then we're asked, where does that, where else is that conception found? Where, where is fatherhood merged with political ideas and preeminently it's found with the emperor because it was the highest title of preserving and saving the country. And that was a, it was an honor that Augustus was most proud of receiving for saving uh, the country, the uh, Rome mm -hmm. and in his, in his uh, work. And then it became um, then expected that the emperors would receive this title and then they wore it very proudly and it's on their coinage so, so fatherland yeah. fatherland here then is key because it it is it is purposely bringing a socio-political tint to the word father and would you think that that pater here then is not being used in its standard or typical sense, just as like the, the father of a household, but here it is more politicized 
because it's connected to father of the fatherland. Well, it's so this word patria, um, it, it first definition in, in our major lexicon is family, clan, relationship. Uh, second one is a relatively large body of people existed as a totality at a given moment and linked through ancestry and socio-political interests, people and nation. Um, and then you have a division of a total people existing at a given moment, a family. There is another word, pat, patris, which is the Greek translation of the Latin patria, but this one sounds closest um, to it. So I do think it's a word play um, that is evoking the Latin terminology, pater patriae, first, you know, Latin word is pat, patria. So I think it is a wordplay, but um, yeah, I mean, I think um, whatever we think of family or nationhood or fatherhood or being a clan, Paul is saying that all of those are relativized to God the Father. Um, he, is, he is the origin and the source of it. And um, no, there is no other preeminence other than God's preeminence. So as important of a title as this is for the Romans and the Roman people, the Roman emperors to parade around the, the pater patriae, this is um, relativized to the fatherhood of God. And, and, that's, and so then Paul is acknowledging his submission to God the Father's um, fatherhood um, by bowing to him and... Um, yeah, and, and knowing that he's the father, remember, as we were looking at last time in chapter one, he's the father of glory, and the idea of glory is renown. He is the father of renown, like he is the most renowned person, like he is the reference point for all that we are, all that we do, all that we think about, and, um, you know, as it is with politics, you, you know, people are concerned about the reputation and fame and reputation, you know, how are people responding? What kind of attention are they garnering? How big are their assemblies and meetings? And, you know, what kind of fame do they have? And Paul says, look, I don't care about any of those. I'm bending my knee. I'm submitting to the father who gives name and credence to any of these other ones. He is the ultimate father relativizing all others. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep going. We're, yeah. Yeah. We're... So he bows. Then the content of the prayers is, is, is in verse uh, 16. He bows in order that he would give to you out of the wealth of his glory with power to be strengthened through his spirit into the inner person. Okay, so we just have to stop right there as a mouthful. So um, he basically is praying that you would be strengthened. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the key thing, strengthened in the inner person. So inside of each of us to receive power. Um, and, and the strengthening comes by way of his spirit. So you're wanting, you know, the spirit, you know, more mm -hmm. present, but there it is, through his spirit, dia tu pnevmatos avtu. So through his spirit, that is the means by which the strengthening takes place. That's the means, the location is into the inner person. So not just n, but is, not just mm -hmm. in the inner person, but is into. So it's, you know, there's like a deep penetration that's taking place here that the empowerment is deeply inside of us. So uh, and then, you know, because it's, it's unusual to, to have the SO uh, there used. So it's yeah. it, in the inner person. The SO there means inner, which is an adverb, but it's being used like an adjective. The inner person. So deep location of, of power, power inside of us. This comes by way of his spirit. And it's a strengthening with power. So there's a redundancy there. So the, the Greek has strengthened with power. I don't know what else we'd be strengthened with. So it's just it's really stressing that. And then you have this really odd um, qualifier at the beginning that he would give to you to be strengthened according to the wealth of his glory. Like that is a weird qualifier. Why is that even necessary according to 
or on the basis of, on the standard of the riches of his glory. So I don't know, when I think about God's glory, I think if he were fully to disclose his glory, we would be fried. Um, so for some reason, God's glory is just really an important concept in Ephesians. And it has to do with his, um, his being, like his essence and his renown, like his glory. Like we can't see his full glory right now, but there is a tremendous uh, uh, wealth of it. Um, his glory is like never ending. Like it is praised and sung about and manifest to people. And, you know, here, I guess we, we probably should think of the Exodus and, you know, his glory, you know, Moses being able to see his glory or at least the backside of his glory, you know? And so there's a lot of, of glory that's in scripture and how wonderful his glory is. And so Paul says it's out of this wealth of his glory that we are to be strengthened. And so it probably is connecting us back to the God of renown, the God who worked powers and saved people politically, you know, politically saved his people, Egypt, out of the political stronghouse of the world at the time, Egypt, and manifesting his glory. So I think the glory is something that is, is very powerful. It's, it's immense. And so it's, it's inexhaustible. It's almost like a nuclear reactor that is just, you know, there's just so much there. And so it's interesting that he, he begins to qualify the strengthening with mention of the wealth of his glory, which I think is inexhaustible. It's inexhaustible. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's pause there and then we'll, we're going to take a, a short break. Um, and we'll come back and see if there's anything we need to pick up from these last couple of verses and see what we can uh, discern about prayer on uh, in the remaining verses. So, listener, take just a moment, listen to this word from our sponsor, Glosa House, and we'll be right back. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glosa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit glosahouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glosa House, language resources for the global community. All right. Welcome back to this side of this episode. We're in Ephesians 3, and Fred's kind of walking us through the prayer there at the end of Ephesians 3. Fred, um, you're just talking about uh, the verse 16 and 17. We're kind of uh, talking about glory. What What is meant by um the within person or the inner person i've i've heard a lot of the prosperity tv speakers uh they've developed this um what they call like an inner man theology um are you are you at all familiar with the the inner man theology of maybe a little bit i mean watchman nee talked a lot about the inner man um interiority of the self but i'm not familiar with the prosperity gospel i, I don't abide by that doctrine Michael, if you're accusing me of that. No, no, are not you, at all. Are you a follower? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, Teach us, what is, does that mean? Yeah, so they, they, uh, I think, I think they're probably, uh, they talk about the, this inner man or this, uh, you know, inner spirit. And their teaching is that uh, prosperity begins in your inner man, uh, the, the spirit, the moment that you're, you're, you become a believer that you're born again, and mm -hmm. uh, you can become increasingly prosperous as as you move along in your spiritual walk or whatever. Yeah. Um, as yeah. you do this, and so, uh, yeah, you. What's interesting is that. Uh, for them, 
not only can you you grow in your your inner man, but your inner man can grow. And so they often using this as a synonym of the spirit. This is one of the main passages that they they refer to this Ephesians three sixteen. But you're in fact that the inner spirit within you, the inner man within you, the spirit can can also be strengthened and, and grow yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. It's um, it's it's really but. Yeah, that's the teaching is yeah. that prosperity begins in your inside. Yeah, they just need to keep looking at scripture because here the strengthening in your inner person leads to is for another purpose. And that's in verse 17. In fact, as you look at these verses, there's a cascading of purposes. So one purpose leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And so I'll just give you a little roadmap. So the initial content of the prayer is in verse 16, and that's that's establishing like a strength base inside of your personhood through the Holy Spirit with power. That leads to the purpose. That strengthening is for the purpose of verse 17, Christ dwelling in your hearts, which is for the purpose of verse 18, that you would be able to comprehend the love, the surpassing of love, surpassing knowledge, love of Christ in verse 19. And that is for the purpose at the in 19b, the ending of that verse, in order that you'd be filled in all the fulfillment of God. So you have a cascading sets of purposes. So one purpose becomes statement becomes the means for the next purpose, which then becomes the means to the next to the next. So there's a cascading level of goal and the ultimate goal here is is the end of verse 19 to be filled or fulfilled and all the fulfillment of god and so that's the end goal and i think paul maybe goes off the deep end there you know what does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of god or to be fulfilled in all god's fulfillment well we can talk about that in just a moment but the strengthening of verse 16 is the means by which then Christ is able to dwell through faith in your hearts. Mm. Now, that's the purpose of the empowerment. So the empowerment is not to get wealthy. It's so that Christ can dwell in our hearts. Now, why is that? Why is it important that Christ dwells in your hearts? Well, humans are basically holy vessels. We're meant to be holy vessels. We're basically like permeable. We're meant to be inhabited by something, by ourselves and by God. We're meant to be filled with something. And if we're not filled with God, we'll, we're, we get full of ourselves or we can be, um, you know, uh, demon possessed. That's even possible as well. So it's really not a matter of what we worship, but whether, not really whether we worship something, but what we worship. We're worshiping beings and we are meant to be indwelt by God. Like that is a natural state of affairs. So we are the temple of the living God. We corporately, but also individually, there is there is a dwelling place in, in our hearts for Christ to, to, to be. And, and to be worshipped in in our hearts. So our heart has is like a home. And I remember there's this pamphlet, um, "My Heart, Christ's Home." I think is the name of the pamphlet that um, Nav Press might have put out. But it was a beautiful picture of discipleship and like inviting Christ into your life. And uh, it's pretty funny because basically, you know, he knocks on the door, we answer, let him in. And, you know, we, we keep him in the foyer. We just keep him there. But, you know, he's like looking around. He's like, hey, what's in that room? And you're like, no, 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 no. The, that's, the, that's the entertainment room. And he's like, I want to come see your entertainment room. And, of course, we, you know, we let him. And it can be embarrassing. It's like, oh, my gosh, yes, I, yes mm. I've seen this. I do that. Oh, my gosh, I, I care about this and I shouldn't. So he basically, the track just shows him walking around to the bedroom, to this mm. closet, to that room. And it basically is my heart, Christ's home. Do we allow him to make home 
in our heart so that he is fully welcome in our complete self. Mm. How is it that how is it that the the spirit and Christ, do they dwell in our hearts simultaneously? What What is that dynamic? I mean, we've often even heard the language of in, in my heart of hearts, like, um, I didn't know my heart had a heart, but uh, what, what's, what's going on with, how does, how does Christ dwell in us? How does the spirit dwell in us? Is it the spirit of Christ that's dwelling in us? What's going on here? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can try to parcel it out. I, you know, like, I think where Christ is, the spirit of God is, right? So the spirit is the spirit of Christ. So I, I don't think there's a, we need to think of that too compartmentally, honestly. I just think that, um, that I think the point of that Paul is making here is that this is a struggle because power yeah. is needed. Right. You know, that's what, in my mind, I began thinking, well, why is power prerequisite for Christ to, for Christ to dwell in my heart? I think it's a struggle. I honestly think, I honestly think that we need, you know, we got a tight grip on things. Um, there, there are dark places. There are, there are places of shame, embarrassment, of hiding, darkness, and it requires power to be mm. given. And so Paul is praying for this power. And, and this, again, is one of those, those places where I'm really challenged by, by how Paul prays. Like, how often do we pray for people to be empowered, you know, in their inner person? Wow. Yeah, I just don't know that I pray that that often. And this is like what he's praying for. And so, and, and then particularly for this goal of Christ dwelling in the heart and it's through faith. So, you know, our response of believing and trusting allows, allows Christ to be present and dwelling. Um, and then this is for another purpose. So Christ dwelling in our hearts becomes the means then for something else, and that is to be strengthened. So verse 18, to be strengthened, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and and what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the surpassing of knowledge, love of Christ. That's almost that's it's oxymoronic to know the surpassing of knowledge, love of Christ. So Christ dwelling in our hearts enables us to be able to have the strength to comprehend how much Christ loves us. Hmm. And that's, yeah. we need power for that to take place. And I think this, well, I know that this is our greatest need. This is our greatest need to have, to know that God loves us, to know that Christ loves us. And verse 18 you know, the big question is, is what is the width, the length, the mm -hmm. height, and the depth? Like, what is that? Is and that playing on ancient, like, magical incantations? I think that's one interpretation, like, that that every dimensionality is involved, or mathematics as, you know, a, a, an access point to mysticism of sorts. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes wisdom traditions are connected with that. So that's one major possibility. I think the best possibility is uh, by an article by Robert Foster that looks at the intertextual referent that is the allusion to the temple that's built in Ezekiel, I think it's like 40 mm. to 42, where these precise measurements are used to describe the bima, the place of the altar sacrifice. And I mm. think that Christ is dwelling where our hearts are a, a temple space and inside of our hearts with Christ and his love is this altar space that he satisfies. Um, and of course um, he also, Paul has is, is used the, the uh, building metaphor in verse at the end of verse 17. I skipped over that having been rooted and founded. That's a building metaphor founded in love. Hmm. And so, Earlier in chapter two, we're described, believers are described as being the temple, being built into the temple place of God. And so here we, 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 get, we return to that metaphor that Christ is dwelling as in like a temple space, which is our heart. And, and inside this temple space, our heart is an understanding that Christ fulfills. He also represents the innermost part of that temple space 
the new temple that was expected to be built, and that is the altar of mercy, this the 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 altar of sacrifice that he brings to us. And this it's is not it's not individualized, yeah. Like this is still we're talking still in plurals, yeah. Yeah, it's plural that you plural would be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this is something. This is something that um, that all of us begin to experience. Yeah, that's a good point. So even in verse seventeen, that Christ would dwell through faith in your plural, your all's hearts. So yeah, this is a corporate reality, um, but it does it, somehow though there is it it affects each one of us individually because it talks about the spirit in our innermost being so there's there's a simultaneous individual aspect to this but then also simultaneous corporate that as this is happening to us individually it also is a corporate reality that we all are being built into the temple of god and at the center of this temple space is this altar space that the width the the length the height and the depth and to know the surpassing of knowledge love of christ Christ's love demonstrated to us as the sacrifice on the altar of mercy, the altar, the mercy seat. In the so you, you, you connected this back to Ezekiel, but what about, you know, Revelation, where you get the throne room in Revelation 4, and then in Revelation 22 and, and even 21, you're getting is the picture of, of what the, the new... Uh, city the new temple the new people of god it looks like um, yeah yeah i mean i think you didn't mean to say it because there is no temple right because well, the people the people are are the temple oh, okay well yeah. because there's no temple in the city right yes that's right yes it, it explicitly says that so i guess because we but, are but you have this dimensionality you have the dimensionality though that is described in revelation 21 and 2 the big cube yeah 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 yeah. i guess i guess there's no i I think there's no discontinuity between the two but more just like each of them you know paul here in revelation tried to describe this perfect temple space being fulfilled being fulfilled by the work of christ yeah and and some people i mean this is really kind of a sad point to me is some people still think there's a temple that needs to be built to fulfill prophecy and i'm just saying look at what christ has done and and let's not be so focused on the physical that we're missing uh the relational uh, and how god has fulfilled this you know god has a right to fulfill things as he sees fit and i just don't think our vision is large enough i think sometimes we're we're too limited in our viewpoint we somehow think that god is interested in a piece of land where his whole scale has changed he's interested in the whole world and focus is not just one people group it is all the peoples of the world and again the book revelation makes these points clear as well so i think we have a deficient theology it's just too narrow too small and it has to be enlarged and and if god if anyone's going to be able to enlarge it it's god and we have to pay attention to how christ has enlarged the vision how his apostles explain that and here we're seeing an, enlarge, an enlargement of the vision. Yeah. Yeah. Let me clarify. So just I just pulled up the verse 21, 22, right? So that you have what's going on is you have the city with dimensionality, but in 21, 22, I Rebel. saw no temple in the city because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple, right? So the, the yes. idea at the, at the center of the city, you do have a temple, but not physical building yeah. you have you have the triune god essentially yeah um, or, or the father and the yeah. the son sitting together and yeah. the, the spirit sort of encompassing and encircling um yeah anyways just to clarify no 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 it's great yeah that's, that's perfect because that's that's precisely the point here and this idea of connecting christ's love to sacrifice like christ loved us and gave himself for us okay so look at galatians 2 20 also look at ephesians 5 2 so in ephesians 5 2 it says walk in love just as christ loved you and offered him gave himself for us as a pleasing sacrifice to god so when we're talking about the love of christ here with the dimensions of the mercy seat from the anticipated Mm -hmm. second temple or the anticipated new temple 
we're, we're really seeing a convergence of sacrifice language right here, that Christ mm -hmm. is that sacrifice. He does convey this, this love. And it's, I find it intriguing that it's to know the surpassing of knowledge, love of Christ. That's oxymoronic. How can you know something that's not knowable, right? It surpasses mm -hmm. knowledge. And I think, I think it's relational. I think it's relational. Like you can't, you have to experience it. You can't, it can't really be known. It, it, it can only be known in terms of experiencing it. It, it surpasses knowledge. We're, we're in the realm of, of deep relationship and, and a, a kind of love that is not codifiable, but can only be experienced and known through that experience is my, is my take on that. Yeah. And so, so this, walk, that, yeah. walk us through the next two verses, round out the prayer, 20 and 21. Let's... Yeah. So this, this know this love of Christ um, is the means then to know this is the means by which then you're filled or fulfilled in all the fulfillment or fullness of God. And I think this, this is the deep, deep end of the pool. But really, if we're thinking about the fullness of God or the fulfillment, I think that word play, pleroma often should be translated simply as fulfillment. But really mm -hmm. what, this, what we're talking is, is the culmination of scriptural fulfillment. And it's really, we're seeing the fulfillment of God's purposes in the world. And what is it that God wants of humanity? Well, I tell you what he wants, a relationship. <laughs> he wants love. He wants mutual love. He wants them to know how much he loves us. And he wants us to love him in return. That's, and that's the point that we've reached here. We have the power, we have the triune God um, in us, the spirit and the son, um, and we're, we're fulfilled with God. And so I see verse 19 as the end game. This is the end game, despite um, the movie that I think has that name. The end game is knowing uh, the fulfillment of God in terms of knowing that God loves us. And out of that love, being able to walk differently in the world uh, to bring bring us back to the metaphor that you think is the Christian metaphor. I think that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so it ends then 20 and 21 with this beautiful doxology um, to the one who's able to do benediction or yeah, benediction. Yeah. I guess it's a benediction. Uh, he's able to do far abundantly more than we can imagine. We can ask or imagine according to the power, which is working in us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. So this idea that God is able to do super abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine, that, that, that's um, something that is mind-boggling to us. I think we sometimes have to wait for it, for it, like we ask for some things, but they may not be realized now. But even in circumstances in life, like it may take years and years to see something come to be. Mm -hmm. And we just need to be patient for that. Um, you know, reconciliation with, with people that we're estranged to now, which can be sad and break our hearts. We might just have to wait for that. Mm -hmm. um, and and maybe, maybe it'll come about in a surprising way. So yeah, um, and again, the power words here are very evident. Uh, to the one who is empowering to do this according to the power working in us. So again, I think Paul is wanting believers to know how much power is in us and a power that is knowable as love, as sacrificial love. And of course, that's going to have implications for us and how we live in the world because we, you know, world defines power in a certain way, but God mm -hmm. counter defines power. And we need, need to align with God's conception of that. So, so how how um, in, in looking through this, like, what's the what's what's, I guess the bottom line, or you know, a major takeaway in terms of, you know, what we begin incorporating into our own prayer life. In the first episode, we were talking about like, well, I was talking about maybe having these like, you know, mental images and, and praying prayers of thanksgiving for people. A moment ago, or in the, in the first side of the break, you were talking about, you were sort of convicted 
a little bit to uh, pray that it's as you power. give things, yeah, as 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 you give perhaps Thanksgiving for these people that we may pray that they would be strengthened with power in their inner inner person. Yeah, um, yeah, I I think yeah, I think um, to anticipate that question, like what? So what it was my takeaway? I think I I need to pray that people, and I do pray for this, that they would know the love of of Christ, that they would have power. So there's a sequence. Power is needed. We're in the midst of a spiritual struggle. Our hearts are pulled in many different directions. There's secret spots in it. We need power so that Christ can dwell in our hearts. So like if he's dwelling in our hearts, then we should be able to know his love and fulfill God's purposes and, and purpose in the world is to be in relation with him. So I think that power serves a purpose of 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 understanding Christ's uh, love of us, which is our greatest need. And I think if we if we can receive that strengthening and that infilling and the dwelling of Christ, that, that that's a, oftentimes a deep beginning point of an answer to our relational struggles, right? Because it it's out of God's love for us that we're able to love and to love freely. Um, so that's, that's what I see as the great, great takeaway from, from this. Yeah. To, to challenge, mm-hmm. to be, to be praying for people to be strengthened in their inner persons and to know God's and Christ's love. Yeah. Hmm. I, I'm struck by the connection with the, 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 the city and, or the temple imagery here yeah. and, and sacrifice, um, and, yeah, particularly that bit about with all the saints. I was kind of stressing the plurality of this. Uh, I know there's that individual element, but it's it's really the the it it's not the individual element in isolation, right? It's the individual element in the context of collectivity. Uh, yeah, that that makes sense. And as you think about that, there there is a sense in which if you connect the dots of your heart in Kentucky and mine here out in the middle of the Pacific and another believers wherever that the dimension, the dimensionality of this city of God, us, the bride of Christ, we're also described as a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does essentially span the, you know, the, the globe and, um, that mm-hmm. we might be able to comprehend with, you know, this this bride that spans the globe, the depths of Christ's love for us, and uh, be strengthened by that, and pray that others would be strengthened by that. That's an intriguing thing, and um, not to get us on a tangent here, but I still have been thinking about that conversation we had several episodes ago about, you know, not just the here and alive saints, but the also the the there and alive saints and that that dimension of also the city of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just yes, interesting. And so here, I like that praying for strength for certain people. That, that they'd be reminded of Christ's love for them. And that yep. is the reminded of that they, they are strengthened, um, which in turn strengthens the entire body, right? Because when one person strengthens, the entire body is strengthened. Yeah. And in chapter four, um, he says the body grows when people speak the truth in love. So like mm. love is what allows the body to grow. Yeah. yeah. And so this community, you know, God is glorified, verse 21 here, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Like the church is that important of mm-hmm. an instrument by which God is glorified. And of course, yes. the church as functioning as it should um, right. is when its members are motivated and act in love and in truth and truth in love, not one without the other, but both together the the church then glorifies god Hmm. i i do like i mean we started by talking about kneeling too i i i 
certainly think there's a symbolism here, but I, I think there's a physicality. I think he's, I think there is a, a real kneeling. Um, I don't know if he's in chains. Is he in chains? I know he's a prisoner, but is he chained up or is he just on? Man, I think he's. I think he's in Caesarea Maritima right now. I think he's just been escorted away from Jerusalem. He's just delivered the collection. He was accused of uh, speaking against the people, against the law, and bringing a Gentile you know, Greek into the temple, which, by the way, these are things that he addresses in chapter 2, 211 to 22. So I think Ephesians is a response to those charges. And by the way, those charges were made from Jews from Asia, Asia Minor, Ephesus. So I think then he gets escorted away. He's in Caesarea Maritima, huge imperial complex there, temple. He's there for two years. So he is under like arrest, but mm. probably with some liberties. And eventually there he has to defend himself and then appeals to Caesar and then gets shipped and goes to Rome. So I think mm. Ephesians is written with him. Yeah, in arrest there. Yeah. yeah. Well, good stuff. Uh, thanks for all the insights. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I, I guess I have the parting shot here. And this comes from one of, uh, I guess I would call this guy one of my sort of spiritual fathers or spiritual forefathers, uh, Henri Nouwen or Henry Nouwen. Um, and he, he's, I think he's particularly reflecting on um, the Emmaus passage here, where Jesus is walking with the disciples and they're not really aware of it. Um, but he says this, says, Jesus walks with us and speaks to us on the road. When we listen carefully, that's a key, when we listen carefully, we discover that we're already home while on the way. Hmm. Wow, that's good. Very helpful. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And we just have one more for the season. And so we uh, look forward to having you listen to us next time. Bye. See you later.